What is up, the K Corner Podcast? How are we doing today? First off, I'd like to, you know, welcome you guys all back. Apologize for a few things. Kind of get into the story note details and and those things. So, um, obviously, I haven't been recording. The last time I recorded was looks like August the twelfth. Um, around that time, um, I was planning on moving down to Arizona. So all those funny times where I was like, hey, recording from my parents' bedroom. I'm finally recording in Arizona. Beautiful weather. I think it was like 75 this morning. It's beginning to heat up. Uh, went for a smooth little run, but now we're up to recording. I am two hours um, behind all you East Coast people out there. Arizona has its own time. So uh, if I continue to do this and upload like how I want to over the next couple months, kind of through this whole entire transition period, I will... Uh, still be two hours behind, and after I begin my job, um, I'll be uploading pretty late at night for you guys, probably around nine, so I kind of expect views to kind of happen and people to watch it the next day. Um, My goal here is to kind of establish a better routine. I think that when I've been doing the podcast last few times, I didn't get into a good routine in terms of like, hey, fun things that I talk about during my podcast. Um, I kind of just talked about the news, kind of rambled and raved, and I have plenty of time to do that right now. Uh, I'm currently uh, have two weeks off fully um, this week and next week. I plan on uploading three days, and I'm going to do one day um, of a movie review. So I'm kind of going to cut down on movie reviews, not because you guys don't like them, but because the pace I was kind of doing movie reviews wasn't really sustainable. Um, it's probably going to be like a Saturday fun review or something a little bit different where I'm not necessarily uploading, um, you know, them on a specific day. I'll kind of let you know as the week goes. Um, my next movie that I kind of want to check out is Eternals. Um, there's a few other wintry movies that are coming out. Uh, I haven't really looked, but I did watch Dune, um, part one, I guess you could say. And that is what I'm planning on reviewing, uh, within the next two weeks. So to get on with it and to kind of talk about everything, I was basically planning moving, trying to find a job, trying to do a bunch of things, and podcasting just kind of fell off the wayside. I know that necessarily isn't a good excuse, and I did have three weeks off before I moved when I think when I thought of, hey, I'll pick it up, but uh, it actually, I um, my, uh, my bank account um, got kind of the company that I was with. I had to transfer a bunch of things, and it ended up being pretty chaotic over the last few weeks. Um, and I was just trying to like de-stress by playing video games and, and, and stuff like that. And I just didn't have a good use of my time where I probably could have uploaded a few times before, set up a good schedule, and then gone down here. Um, but first off, I'd really like to just appreciate all the fans. It looks like there's been a, a some more views on my videos. I'm going to continue to upload Monday, Wednesday, Friday, right around this 9 o'clock or so time frame. I'm going to plan on eating, going for a little run, working out for a little bit, and then uploading my podcast. Um, so we're going to get after it today. Um, first off, I'm going to be talking about college football. I'm going to be talking about NFL. I'm not going to be talking about rankings, although I know that's a huge problem. Um, rankings overall for the entire season has kind of sucked, and I've, I've known that, and it's something that I want to address, but the uh, the football playoff rankings comes out tomorrow so I'm gonna to wait to upload that on Wednesday that way when when I can talk about it, I can talk about it with both the AP um, coaches poll alongside um, the the playoff committees kind of take on the rankings and talk about them all together but with 
with that regard done, I'm also going to be talking about the NBA, the NHL. I'm going to really focus on the Red Wings. I know they've been playing some great hockey most tonight, or Lucas Raymond really liking, lighting it up as rookies. Um, I'm going to talk about offseason and trends that I've kind of seen. Um, NFL trends, not just the games themselves. Um, OBJ moving. We get to see Baker Mayfield kind of struggling. Um, the Patriots kind of surging this half, this late in the season. So I'm going to talk about all that today. It might be a bit longer of a podcast, but I'm you know willing to do it. I ain't got nothing to do. So first off, I'm going to talk about uh, college football. So I really hate um, that the MAC has decided to go with weekday games. Um, just looking here, they have like Tuesday and Wednesday games, and I understand that from a viewership like ESPN perspective, there's usually not a whole ton on. Maybe an NBA game if you're interested, but college football every single night is supposed to be a boom but when you look into the stands and you see empty crowds and I know like you know like CMU I'm, I'm from Michigan and Western don't necessarily fill up every single weekend um, you're definitely not going to get fill ups on a Tuesday and Wednesday night and so it kind of looks worse on these programs that do have dedicated fan bases but they can't go to a 7:30 you know night game you know, tailgate or do any of the fun stuff that you traditionally do on a college game day. And I think that it's a point going forward that TV deals are so lucrative and, you know, getting people in the stadium is becoming more and more expensive. Um, you see ticket prices for all sorts of things being absolutely bananas um, um, across the board. And it's really just going to be the future that we may see smaller and smaller stadiums that going to the stadium event with how easy and capable it is to watch TV and how great the picture is, that it's without a doubt going to trend that less people are going to be in action at games. You know, if you have less moving bodies, if you can have a smaller stadium, more camera angles, um, I, I know for NFL, it's probably going to trend that way more so than in college because college has the whole entire game day atmosphere. You tailgate, you know, college students leave their classes. You know, it's 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 more of an experience. But um, NFL specifically, pro sports, I can see it, and this is kind of like one of those trends. Like there, there's no one in the stands. There's you know the do the few dedicated fans, the parents that you know can take a Wednesday Thursday night off that could you know get up there at seven thirty, but. Overall, I just don't think it's a very, very good way to kind of have your NFL or your your football games be played is more about, you know, the viewership rating and stuff like that. Um, Thursday, Pittsburgh and North Carolina played. Pittsburgh won 30-23 in overtime. I don't think Pittsburgh's a very good team. Pittsburgh has played one of the weakest schedules in the country. They lost to Western Michigan, who has looked up and down in the MAC. Um, their defense isn't very good. Kenny Pickett, uh, I mean, he is what he is. I, I think that if Pittsburgh, um, just going to check out their schedule here real quick. I, I know they don't have a, you know, to end the season, they get Virginia and Syracuse. So those are two winnable games. I think they'll probably lose to Virginia with the way that Virginia matches up with high-powered offenses and stuff and be able to go back and forth in scoring. But this is an overtime win against a North Carolina team that has showed promise at times. They beat Wake Forest the weekend before uh, putting up a buttload of points. But it really didn't it didn't kind of indicate that this Pittsburgh team's very good, and I don't think North Carolina's very good either. Um, when they really lost their running backs last year, Devontae Williams and 
Michael Carter. I think they lost some of their balance offensively. You've had to see uh, the, the quarterback run it a bit more. And, and on top of that, I think overall that defense isn't very good. They aren't making tackles in the open field. And I, I think Mac Brown has done a tremendous job at that program. North Carolina has never been a powerhouse. Last year they last year they kind of struggled, but two years ago, um, Diami Brown on the outside when all these receivers were healthy and that offense was really rolling. And they, they you know they hit heights that North Carolina football has never really reached. And you kind of see what he's able to build in the recruiting classes he's bringing in. I really like the job he's doing down there and everything that he's been capable of doing. And at the same note, Pat Narduzzi, former MSU assistant, is the Pittsburgh head coach still. Um, He's been there, I think, for seven or eight years now. Um, And he's had the joys of coaching Kenny Pickett, I think, for five of those years. Kenny Pickett is a guy that stayed around. Um, He shot up draft boards because of it. He's an extremely accurate guy, but he has a big arm. But I think he's kind of honed in being able to use his athleticism, being able to, you know, uh, there's a gunslinger terminology that most people with big arms have that, you know, they, they go and sling the ball around as much as they possibly can. And I think early on in Kenny Pickett's career, that that is a good way to describe him. He took a lot of chances with the football. He, he pushed it downfield. And Pittsburgh doesn't have athletes that, you know, Clemson or Bama or some of these really big schools have. And, you know, they do have a guy like James Conner that can run and establish a run. But they don't have these, you know, diverse, you know, winners on the edges on the outside. And he kind of reined it in the last two years. Last year, he played really well. But this year, he's kind of really locked in in the fact that he's able to make a lot of NFL-type throws. And I know part of that's because he's a bit older. I think he's played five or six years, like I said. I think five years of playing time. I think he might have been there six years. That man's, that man's ancient in college football terms. But he he's able to do so much with his eyes and get through reads. And that is something that is incredible. And you've seen him you know, projected to go in the second round. I know PFF really, really likes him. Uh, I don't think he has the upside of some of these other guys, which is why I don't think he'll be drafted um, in the first round. But he's a second round guy, a team who's looking to have, I wouldn't say a, a starter right away, but someone who you know has a quarterback that's struggling that might need that extra push this is one of those guys that wouldn't be a plug and play but it within one or two years could be a very capable starter if you have a really good run game if you can get him out onto the flats if you can let him showcase his arm talents i think he might be a very good pickup now we go to cincinnati um i, I know i talked a lot uh f- for that thursday game but cincinnati is really the only friday game that we need to talk about and they played south florida south florida is bad um, Cincinnati beats bad teams. The AAC, them leaving for the Big 12, um, you know, couldn't have come at a worse time. You know, they have one of their, everything's kind of came together the last few years. Um, and and they just simply don't play a good enough schedule. I think they're in the hundreds I saw in, in schedule efficiency. And, you know, they play SMU, who's lost two games, eight and two, not ranked in the top 25, and they finish season out against Eastern Car- or East Carolina before probably playing Memphis um, or Houston in the American Athletic Conference. Maybe Houston gets ranked um, later on in the year, but uh, they just don't play a good schedule. Boise State, um, up and down, not really the Boise State we're true to seeing. They beat Wyoming. Then we have the Saturday slate. Um, I'm going to talk about kind of go gloss over the non-important games and really hammer into the important games, the games that I really wanted to talk about. Alabama got down 3-0 and then scored 59 straight points 
to blow out New Mexico State. Um, they've they've looked really good offensively. They did have some injuries, um, and we'll see kind of how serious those injuries are. Uh, Wisconsin wins another one. Wisconsin controls their controls their destiny going into the last two weeks of the season. Um, in that, you know, and there's a point in time in the season when Michigan went to Wisconsin, beat Wisconsin after Wisconsin. You know, lost to Notre Dame and Penn State early on in the season. That hey, this this team's done. There's no way that this Wisconsin team can come back and, and win the Big Ten West. And sure enough, you know they showed us all wrong. They go and beat Purdue. Uh, you know, limit their offense to 13 points. They go and beat Iowa, shutting them down completely. Um, and they have Nebraska and Minnesota. You know, Nebraska's been in the race with a lot of good teams. Does Nebraska play spoiler? I don't know. But then they have Minnesota, who I don't think is very good and matches up horrendously against this Wisconsin team, who has, without a doubt, the best front seven in all of college, or defensive front seven in all of college football. They're letting up like 50 to 60 rushing yards per game. Uh, It is absolutely incredible uh, how much they're able to do, how much they're able to stop and fill those gaps. And it all starts with their scheme and their linebackers because they fill gaps and they fill holes like no one's business. They're able to do so many different things on that front seven and, and scheme up so many different things. Now, on the back end, they're a little bit slow, a little bit clunky. Yeah, they get after the passer, though. Um, and, and offensively, if they had a you know a capable quarterback and capable guys to win on the outside, uh, you know they could be a top-five team. And it's one of those things that I don't know how they can't get good wide receivers. And I know it's Wisconsin, but bring in you know, a capable wide receivers coach, a guy who didn't play there, who isn't like, we're going to run three route trees, bring in a guy who, who, who can coach wide receivers because Wisconsin has a defense to be number five in the country every single year, but they need an offense with a quarterback, right? They can run the shit out of the ball. They're going to run the shit out of the ball every year. All they need is a capable quarterback and one or two decent wide receivers. And this could be a team that goes undefeated in that the West every single year, the Big Ten West, because the West isn't as good as the East, and they could definitely go to the championship game because all they have to do is win one possible throw them up game in the Big Ten championship game, and they're just with you know they just can't do it. But um, Wisconsin continues to roll. Uh, Florida lets up 52 points to Samford. Um, Florida is irrelevant now. Um, kind of struggling, but they get right. And everyone talks about, well, the SEC is the hardest schedule in the country. Um, you know, they want to talk about all these bull, you know, these bull crap kind of things on how, well, it, it's, it makes sense why, you know, Florida has to play, you know, a Sanford in the middle because their schedule is so, so difficult. And then we talk about bowl games and we talk about conference records and 500 records, right? How many ga- how many wins have you had a, a you know, 500 record? Over the next 2 weeks, Florida to get above 500 has to be either Missouri or Florida State. And they will be, you know, both of those teams, Missouri's currently 5 and 5, F- Florida State's 4 and 6. So that to be a 500 or a below 500 team. And so now they win both these games, and now they're 7-5, and five, possibly jump into the rankings late because they finish with three straight wins um, You know, at the end of the year you know, where they had a rough patch in the middle of the year and they played all these tough opponents. And you know, they, they had a good you know, showing early on in the season you know, where they, they fought Alabama really tough at home. And it, it just goes to show that that's how 
kind of your opinion and everything can change on college football when people play a, a Samford in the middle of their season and let up 52 points, but it comes out as a win. Uh, Clemson ends up beating UConn, blowout. Louisville ends up beating Syracuse. Indiana, guys, they've fallen off the horse. Um, all of us who were talking about Michael Penix struggling in that offense, struggling, we were like, oh, they, they might have to pull him. This might not be the guy. And you see where that offense is at without Penix without everything he's capable to bring to it with him extending the pocket and everything uh they got some offensive just woes um that running back room wasn't great with Mike when Michael Hart was there and it's gotten worse like they're averaging I want to say like two yards a carry the guys can't find gaps that offensive line is beat up and you know completely awful Ty Freifogel hasn't won a single ball on the outside compared to him winning every single one last year and it just goes to show how toxic college football is. You kind of saw this with Northwestern. You know, Indiana was one of those teams competing. If they, they they got close to Ohio State. Now, it wasn't a close game the entire way. And kind of at the end, Ohio State took, took their foot off the gas. And Indiana became made it a close one-score game. But Indiana m- may not pick up a conference win this year. May not pick up a conference win. They either have to beat Minnesota or Purdue. They haven't won a single conference game this year. This is coming from a team that only lost one last year. Absolutely crazy COVID year. Um, Good news for Rutgers. Guys, Rutgers might be bowl eligible. They're currently 5-5. They beat Illinois. They won two out of the last three. They got blown out by Wisconsin. They have Penn State or Maryland. Um, That week uh, 13 game... Pence or Rutgers, Maryland is going to be incredible to watch because both those teams are probably going to be five and six fighting for bowl eligibility because Michigan plays Maryland this weekend. Hopefully Michigan wins. Penn State plays Rutgers this weekend. Rutgers will probably lose, but that's just incredible considering, you know, where Rutgers was at, you know, this, at this point, you know, two years ago, they were one of the most irrelevant football teams in the country. And when Rutgers is but you know, good, the foundation, the first ever college football game played there, it, it's always good to kind of see programs like that make it back. Um, and other news, Kansas State uh, beats up on West Virginia. West Virginia's kind of fallen off the wagon. They had a close loss to Maryland. We were like, oh, West Virginia's pretty good. Maryland might be pretty good. And we just found out that both teams are bad. Utah beats Arizona 38-29. Arizona down here now. I got to start covering the Arizona teams. Um, but Arizona, guys, they, um, they're they competing a little bit better. They picked up their first win in, like, I want to say they didn't win any games last year, and they had lost, like, their last five ending uh, the 2019 season. So that was their first win last week and forever in a day. And uh, Utah 24 um, it'll be an interesting matchup to see Utah versus Oregon, how that game plays out next week. Uh, Georgia, you know, thrashes Tennessee. That Georgia defense is stout. Tennessee got up, scored, I think it was 14-7 at one point, and then Georgia just kind of poured it on turnovers. Um, that Tennessee team is better. They're going to be fighting for bowl eligibility over the next few weeks. I really kind of like the way that this Tennessee team is built. I think next year might be a real shot for this Tennessee team to compete, not not win, but uh, you know, be be an eight and three team, kind of be a Florida, and that's good for college football when one of those blue bloods kind of makes it back there. Iowa, um, Iowa's continuing to struggle, guys. Uh, they almost lost to Minnesota at home. 
um, for Iowa here. Iowa's offense just isn't capable of doing anything, and I think they're kind of in the same boat to lesser degree of Wisconsin, is if they could figure out how to run an offense. They have the best tight ends in the country year in, year out. Those tight ends know how to block. They always have a very capable running back. I think the big difference between Iowa competing all these years and and Wisconsin competing all these years is Wisconsin has had a bevy of running backs. You know, Melvin Gordon, Jonathan Taylor, Monty Ball, and Wisconsin didn't have a running back at the start of the year that separated himself. Brian Allen, I think, transferred away from the program after kind of having a decent year last year, and Iowa hasn't really had that guy. A lot of people love talking um, about Tyler Goodson. I think he's dynamic, but he doesn't break enough tackles to get to the next level, and so many people load the block box against this offense that there's not really a lot of running room. I think he'll get picked up because he can catch the ball out of the backfield. I think he has good hands and I think that he's going to be a uh, decent to surprise on the next level. One of these big 10 backs that, you know, comes on, goes through the ringer. He does have a lot of carries on his legs, staying there for a long time, but they did spit out uh, Petras. Petras sucked, dude. And Iowa ended up Going to the next quarterback in line, he was efficient. I think he threw for 200 yards, two touchdowns. So Iowa, you know, wins the game. Um, looking through, Florida State defeats Miami. I know a lot of people want to talk about um, Miami, um, you know, being a big win. Miami has now dropped to 5-5 five and five. over the next two weeks. They have to pick up a win at Virginia Tech or Duke to become bowl eligible. And I heard, and I'm not talking state fans, you know, Sammy... Dave, any of you guys who are listening, I'm not talking about you guys as state fans. You guys aren't idiots. But I heard multiple people on Twitter, and I know that's not the best place to do it, but people were talking about, well, why is Michigan ranked higher? Blah, 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 blah. I don't think they should be ranked higher. I'm not I'm not in that boat. But people were like, yeah, I mean, if you really look at it, the, the Miami win was basically the equivalent of the Wisconsin win. And it's like, a 5-5 five and five hoping to become bowl-eligible team in the last two weeks of the season is capable to the Big Ten West champion who has been dominating really bad teams and has really shown at the second half of the season, you know, that that they're good. And, and everyone can say, well, yeah, they took the ball out of Grammar's hands, not allowing them to throw. They, I, don't, I know you guys didn't watch the Michigan-Wisconsin game, most likely. They, they couldn't run. Like, there was literally zero running lanes and I know you're gonna say hey you know there there were running lanes in MSU game granted you know Walker the third had a hell of a game and and I still hear touchdown Walker the third and I keep hearing that maybe in my nightmares I can't know if it's a dream or a nightmare but it's just funny how you know the discourse at the beginning of the season that Miami was a ranked team lost to Bama and you know then wins a wins a close game against Florida State, and it's, or not Florida State, who'd they, who'd they win a close game? I can't remember. Uh, wins a close game, and then they, they come out and, you know, they fight in the claw for with Michigan State for a long time, and it's like, that's, you know, relative to what it is. is You know, it, it isn't a good win at this point. Now, is it a, you know, better win than playing Samford the last weekend of the season, and it was on the road in Miami? Yes, but it, it wasn't. It, let's let's not chalk it up to a good win. The ACC is awful this year, and they aren't competing well in that conference. Um, Boston College gets a win over Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech has been really up and down this year. I know they have a new offensive coordinator. Uh, I talked about this going into one of my last few podcasts. Don't be surprised if Georgia Tech in the next few years kind of develop a program 
in the ATL, one of those programs that ran this the triple option to some success. They had a few years where they were really good, but you know they could never win the big game. Um, Iowa State guys, one of those teams that just hasn't found their footing. I know a lot of people wanted Matt Campbell to go for Jim Harbaugh this year. I wasn't ever 100% sold on Campbell. I said I really liked the prospect of Campbell going to a bigger school, um, unlike Iowa State. But every time that Iowa State kind of finds a way to lose, a, you know, win a big game, uh, like I just kind of want to highlight their schedule. They're six and four, so they're obviously going to be bull. They have Oklahoma next week and then TCU, so probably getting the seven wins at minimum here. You know, they Texas, you know, coming off a you know, a few losses. Iowa State goes and blows them out 30-7. to The week before that, uh, West Virginia, who isn't very good, uh, just gets, you know, loses to them 38-31 after they blow out Oklahoma State, right? So oh, they, they, or not blow out. So they beat Oklahoma State, number eight team in the country. They go and play West Virginia away, lose to West Virginia. They go and play Texas at home, beat Texas, and they go and play Texas Tech away. They lose to Texas Tech. Um, I think it may be a blowout this weekend. Uh, you know, they, they could win this game, though. That's kind of one of the things is Iowa State's one of those weird teams where if they have the right matchup, they always win those weird, goofy games. Um, up next, Michigan State, Maryland. Um, all you guys, uh, Peyton Thorne is, is a quarterback that confuses me. So I watched him play in the Michigan-Michigan State game. I've seen him throw a few times. He is an extremely good deep ball thrower. So when guys have extreme separation like Jaden Reed and they're at the top of the routes, he's going to put really good fade balls in. He's going to put over the top balls really, really, really well. We kind of saw that on the fourth and fourth throw, you know, on Dax Hill. He perfectly threw the ball. Dax Hill was a little late in coverage, didn't get his hands in there. Beautiful play, end up scoring a touchdown, helping them win the game. But what I think I see most in his game is he is able to throw through one to two reads, and he doesn't handle pressure well. I, I think that you kind of see, like, if he has a three-step drop to a fade route, or he has a, you know, flea flicker, or he has a, you know, a deep post, he's going to make a good throw. But I don't know if he's necessarily at that level where he can take the top of really good defenses, which going into next week, OSU, you have to keep scoring with them. And I know... Kenneth Walker is going to get the bulk of the carries. I mean, this man should be the number one vote for all the Heisman candidates. The fact that we're even talking about, oh, well, Bama, it's like, yeah, dude, he's throwing to three NFL wide receivers. Of course he is. Like, have you seen this state line? They're awful. Kenneth Walker is is, is incredible. I'd like to see him get more involved in the reception games. I don't know if he has very good hands or if they just don't use him a lot because I know they like pushing the ball down the field. Um, but I, I really, the way I kind of look at this, uh, team it is a team that's made to really pound the rock and beat up uh, on some of these teams. Uh, their defense led up 350 yards to Maryland, 21 points. Um, two guys went for 100 yards. I think that the matchup next week is going to depend on they have to switch something up defensively. They don't have an extremely good pass rush. Panashuk is really the only guy that can go in there and kind of mash it up in the middle um, and get aggressive. They like running stunts, but this, hey, Ben don't break offense against this, o or this Ben don't break defense against OSU. I mean, OSU isn't going to get the deep ball over the top, but Chris Olave and Jackson Smith and Jugba and Garrett Wilson are the best three receivers in the Big Ten. 
outside of Bell for Purdue. I think it's like Jackson Smith, uh, Olave, Bell are kind of all by themselves in an elite level separation. And then Garrett Wilson, he's kind of have a down year um, just with the like emergence of Njigba. But there's going to have 3,000 yard receivers on that offense. And this defense lets up yards in bundles. I mean, it might be 500 yards of passing. Now it's going to come to red zone stops. It's going to come to holding the ball. This is one of those games where if Kenneth Walker III needs 30 plus carries probably, 25 to 30 carries, and 200 yards to just grind the clock because you saw what you saw what Purdue tried to do. Purdue tried to get into a, a, a race with this offense, and early on in the year, you could get in a race. You could you could kind of put it onto them because they couldn't finish. They didn't know what their identity was. Trayvon Henderson is one of the best backs. It's going to be such a fun matchup. I'm excited to highlight that going into this week. But Michigan State gets a win. They're doing the job. If they win out, you know everything's in their hands. If they win out, everything's good. That, that's the end of the story. Missouri beats South Carolina. South Carolina, you know, just fallen from the, the echelon of being one of those teams out there. Um, Arizona State come back, comes back and beats Washington. Um, this Arizona State team is, is kind of baffling. They're 7-3. and three. I wouldn't be surprised if they end up being ranked um, next week. They have Oregon State and Arizona State to end the season. Um, I believe they're in first in the uh, Pac-12 South. Oh, they got to play Utah, and I believe they lost to Utah. So as long as Utah doesn't lose to Oregon, and I think they have the head-to-head. But anyway, they're second. I wouldn't be surprised if they're one of the top teams. But they're like hot and cold running and passing the ball. And this Washington team, guys, their head coach just got fired um, after this loss. Uh, they're four and six, not necessarily what you'd want to see. Jaden Dalian just threw for 90 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Um, they ran the shit out of the ball. They ran for, they had 57 carries. Pac 12 football, 57 carries, 287 yards, and three touchdowns. Um, Jaden Daniels hasn't really found his footing in the last few years, and I know they've lost, like they've lost Brandon Ayuk, they've lost Nikhil Harry, who are both top-end NFL-caliber receivers. Now, it hasn't really panned out for either of them as well as you would. Brandon Ayuk, injury bug, really. Nikhil Harry, uh, don't know if it's effort or his game just not translating well, but those were two top-end college receivers, and they haven't found anyone at the next level that, you know, Jaden Daniels can throw to. Uh, They also lost, you know, Benjamin you know, Benjamin, I remember watching him when MSU played Arizona State. Arizona State um, ended up winning that game. Two men down on the field. Absolute chaos. Uh, sitting next to Matt Neal. It was, it was a great time. Shout out, Neal. Uh, sorry. that I was like the only one cheering in like a crowd of state fans. And I was like, I didn't want to like be a dick about it. So I kind of just like, oh, that's tough. But uh, I was kind of rooting for ASU there. And But, you know, Benjamin, you know, he when you lose a captain like that, I mean, this man was calling audibles in a hostile environment at MSU um, for their f- true freshman quarterback. And Jaden Daniels hasn't really figured out the throwing portion of things um, this late into his career. But like I said, I don't know if it's because of the guys on the outside. Um, Notre Dame ends up 28-3, win over Virginia. I think their defenses really came on here. Um, Notre Dame, uh, we can talk about their ranking later and the fact that they still stay in the ACC when – I mean, it's just not a football area. USC being down doesn't really help anything. And their only big game, um, well, I shouldn't say their only big game. They beat Wisconsin now 41-13. Now that game was really, really close in the fourth quarter. And, you know, things can, the score can sometimes fool you. So it was 24 
to 13. Wisconsin, 24-13, Wisconsin misses a field goal. Like, like this is how you can kind of... Wisconsin goes up 13-10. to 10. Um, Kick return for a touchdown for uh, Notre Dame. Wisconsin fumbles in their own territory. Uh, Notre Dame scores a few plays later. Wisconsin drives a field, misses a field goal. Interception. So it's 24-13. Interception for touchdown, interception for touchdown. So it's like one of those games where a fumble in your own, you know, 25 or so, or your own 50, sorry, leads to a touchdown, a missed field goal, and then back-to-back pick sixes in the end of the fourth quarter. You know, it, it, that can influence the game drastically. Um, but they lost their big game. You know, if they beat Cincinnati, they're they're on the road for the playoff. But, you know, you can't almost, you know, they went to OT with Florida State. They should have lost Toledo. Toledo fumbled the bag. Purdue, who we've seen is pretty good. It was a close game the entire way. Um, they almost lose to Virginia Tech, 32-29. And then they play North Carolina, beat them by 10, beat Navy 34-6. to Like, but they have Georgia Tech and Stanford. Like, they just haven't played anyone this year. And there's going to be teams that are 9-1 and or, you know, 11-1 and by the end of the year, then get a 12-1 and against another ranked win. They just won't have the wins. And, it, you know, it sucks because they play in that conference. But uh, Notre Dame, I think, is pretty good this year. But, you know, that's kind of what Brian Kelly squads always look like. They're going to win a lot of games. They're going to beat up on the ACC. And they're going to, you know, maintain... You know, they're not in the ACC, but we all know they, you know, they're playing all ACC opponents except for USC, Stanford every year, and then what other, other games they want to kind of schedule out. Um, big one here, Kansas defeats Texas, guys, and this one was hilarious. Um, you know, Steve Sarkeesian, they get up in that uh, Oklahoma game. You know, everyone's hype about it. Everyone's like, oh my God, they're going to be Oklahoma. Uh, they're they're going to win it, and it just has been, you know, downhill from there you know they lose to Oklahoma you know after blowing a game just not able to run the clock out their defense literally just getting lit up they then go play Oklahoma State another tough game lose that game 32-24 they then lose to Baylor 31-24 so you know top 15 teams they're within one score and they're still losing them Iowa State they get blown out 30-7 and now they lose to Kansas they're probably going to be able to come bowl eligible. They have West Virginia, Kansas State. They're better than everyone else um, than those teams. But Steve Sarkeesian in his first year over there, um, they have some things to figure out on the defensive side of the ball. Offensively, I don't think that's where they really struggle. I think it's really just maintaining things. Um, Xavier Worthy, guys, um, this one hurts. He was committed to Michigan academically. It sounds like he couldn't get in, um, not because he was dumb, but because like Michigan academics – are, are just weird in a lot of ways and he's having a hell of a true freshman season a lot of things were talked about that he was too skinny and stuff like that but he has 49 receptions for 839 yards and he has 11 touchdowns already that's you know all american true freshman season um he's probably going to post 100 yards games the next two games and then the bowl game so he'll be over a thousand yards his freshman year absolutely incredible and, you know, if Michigan could have got him, how much more dynamic that offense would have been. But should have, could have, would have. Who cares? Oklahoma State blows out TCU. UCLA gets a road win. Or, no, gets a win on Colorado. You know, UCLA has been with Chip Kelly. It's been weird. Um, they got Zach Charbonnet. They rode his hand at the beginning of the year. He has 11 touchdowns. Probably going to eclipse 1,000 yards before the season's over. But this team has been really up and down. Um you know, they almost beat Oregon. They get blown out by Utah, you know, so there's two other losses. Then they lose to uh, Arizona State at a home game. 
and, and it's just the way that the season kind of went and they went a huge game against LSU when we thought LSU was going to be pretty good and then they go and lose to Fresno State 40 to 37 at home you know if they don't have that Fresno State loss you know they're seven and three in 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 a weaker conference and, and they're competing you know seven and three you know, just doesn't cut it around here, though. You know, UCLA, you might see Chip Kelly kind of move on from them. Uh, or, you know, UCLA move on from Chip Kelly. Oregon plays another close game with Washington State. It should be a good matchup next week. San Diego State gets the win. So now I want to talk about, you know, the big ranked matchups of the weekend. Michigan and Penn State played. Um, this was uh, uh, as much as a Jim Harbaugh game as you can get, but he finally won one. And I, everyone can talk about well, Penn State, you know, they have four losses. Guys, it, it kind of sucks the way that the the college football season goes because Penn State, I mean, all of us watched it. Penn State should have beaten Iowa. And if they would have beaten Iowa, they would have been ranked probably two or three when they went and lost to Illinois. They pro- probably would have dropped to 15. They lose to Iowa State or Ohio State. And then they beat Penn State. So they're... You know, they have two, they have a loss to number three on the road. Obviously, Iowa's still in the top 20. They lose to Ohio State. Ohio State's in the top four right now. And then they have the one, you know, crazy game where Illinois matches up well against them and they lose in nine overtimes. The overtime rule sucks. We can talk about that some other time. But when you look at kind of how all this barrels down and how all this kind of works out, Penn State is a good team. I expect Penn State to beat Rutgers, get to seven wins, jump back into the top 25 for a top 25 matchup the last week of the season, Penn State versus MSU, and then there'll be two top-ranked matchups um, You know, the last weekend of the season if Michigan can win this weekend on Maryland. But Hassan Haskins, man, he's really come on, and I think the one thing that you can kind of take from this and one thing that you got to understand is Hassan Haskins is an NFL running back. The way he can make guys miss in the hole, the way he breaks tackles. Now, he is not um, your explosive back. If you have a little jitterbug guy, if you have a guy that um, kind of like how the Lions have used Jamal Williams alongside DeAndre Swift, where DeAndre Swift is really one of the guys that can make a move and get around people and burst it, and Jamal Williams is your grinder, your bigger back. Hassan Haskins runs into eight-man boxes all the time and finds four or five yards every single time. He is terrific on third down. The really only time he doesn't get third downs is when there's literally nowhere to run and something completely blows up the play, and even sometimes he still gets you know those. When everyone in the stadium... You know, God forbid Jim Harbaugh run a play action or a bootleg or something creative with that offense. But, you know, Michigan got it done. Eric Hall with a tremendous reception. Um, and Hassan Haskins caught the ball in the backfield. He blocks really well. I mean, he's just doing a whole lot of things. Andrell Anthony hasn't been really featured. He went out of the game last week with an injury against Indiana. Blake Corum out doesn't help this offense. Hopefully by Ohio State, he's back. He's a difference maker. He's one of their better running backs because he's the jitterbug that they need. Um, I truly think that Donovan Edwards is going to be a tremendous back, but he isn't there yet. Uh, you know, coming off a high ankle injury, missing two weeks in your true freshman season when you started the season late, um, you didn't get there, you didn't early enroll, you know, that's tough, but he, he truly is going to be a good back, but he's not quite there yet. But a good win by Michigan on the road. It's always difficult to play at Happy Valley. And, you know, they got the job done. It wasn't pretty. 
Um, I think they controlled outside of the first quarter. I think Michigan controlled that game. Another late fumble in their own red zone, ball handling issues almost cost them this game, just like it did it against Michigan State, but they overcame it, right? Like that kind of took the win out of their sails. They weren't able to find it, turnover late in the game. They weren't able to get a stop. You know, Michigan found that stop. They forced them into a field goal, um, and then they end up winning the game. Baylor beats Oklahoma. Finally, we can stop with the narrative that Oklahoma's good. Um, I thought Oklahoma was overrated the entire year. Uh, they didn't beat really anyone. It's like, how is Oklahoma this like powerhouse team? And I think this is one of those that the, the committee got it right. I thought their defense wasn't very good. And Caleb Williams, guys, uh, 146 yards, two interceptions. Uh, that came crashing down. This Baylor defense is one of the better ones. Now, they're offensively chair, and Gary Bohannon, isn't necessarily the passer that you'd really want to have leading this, this you know, what could be a high-octane offense. But they rushed the shit out of the ball against us Oklahoma team, 296 yards, 6.3 yards per carry, and two touchdowns. That's how you grind a team like this away. You don't want to get into a scoring battle, and that's one of the things that in the Texas and um, Oklahoma game is you see Texas get up big, right? And what you end up seeing is they're continuing to run quicker offenses instead of slowing things down a little bit instead of letting 15 20 seconds come up the, come off the clock and playing for first downs they're still playing like it was a one score game and trying to boot race with them and if you give an Oklahoma team you know too many possessions they're gonna they're gonna figure it out eventually and then they're gonna eat at you it's the same thing with Kansas giving too many uh possessions like Baylor went time of possession 35 to 20 uh sorry 35 to 24, but you look at plays, Oklahoma ran 53 plays and had nine penalties, and that is how you get them, and on third down, two of nine, so they weren't able to churn out all these plays and run all these plays and grind your defense down, and you know, Baylor, they're going to be probably one of the top two loss teams in the country, I don't know if they should, um, you know, Baylor played Texas State, Texas Southern, then they get in the conference play, they play Kansas, Iowa State, they lose to Oklahoma State, right? It's at Oklahoma State, they lose by 10. They go and play West Virginia, they go and play BYU, a decent to good BYU team that beat up on the Pac-12, then they play Texas, but then they lose to TCU on the road, and TCU is not a good team, man, and I just don't get if you have a TCU loss, right? Like a TCU is not, maybe maybe not a bowl eligible team at the end of the year. You can't be one of the top ranked, you know, two win teams in the country. It, it just can't be possible. Um, moving on from that, Mississippi State beats Auburn. If you listen to the ESPN show, um, Lane Kiffin talked about how he thought that he really liked Mississippi State and their offense against this Auburn team. Um, Mississippi State's probably going to go up in the rankings. Auburn has to fall out at this point, right? Like, how is Auburn still... This is who Akron, Auburn's beat this year. They beat Akron. That's one win. They beat Alabama State. They beat Georgia Southern. They beat LSU. They beat uh, Arkansas. And they beat Ole Miss. Arkansas, we've seen, isn't very good. Ole Miss, I think, is slightly overrated. SEC bias, 11-point game. But... They're going to pick up a win against South Carolina, most likely, move to seven wins. Then it's going to be a top 25 matchup for Alabama and Auburn at Auburn. I think Alabama wins by 30. Like, 
this this team isn't very good. Half of their win, like Akron, Alabama State, they play one tough team, one Power 5 team. They lose to Penn State on the road by eight, right? And then they beat Georgia State. Like, three of their wins are not even football teams, man. And they, it, it just is like three of their six, they won their three in three in in the SEC. They're three and three in the SEC. But they pick up bullshit wins along the way, right? This is my conversation point. They pick up bullshit wins along the way. And so now they're six and four. And we have to, man, and it's like, dude, you guys beat Ole Miss at home by 11, right? And Ole Miss has been one of the most up and down bad teams in the country. And and you win one other game. And it's just like, how do you get that high ranking? Um, I think they should completely be out of it. Even with the win next week, I don't think they should add it unless everyone else loses. Um, it, it, you know, they're just not very, very good. Um, Ohio State blows out Purdue. Ohio State, I mean, offensively, they're at a different level right now where they were at the start of the year. Stroud had 361 passing yards, five touchdowns, 31 of 38. Uh, Trayvon Henderson ran for 98, two touchdowns, a 57-yard long. Um Mayan Williams, another freshman, had 117. Uh, Smith and Wilson both had over 100 yards. Olave had 85. Uh, I mean, they're just they're just dangerous. Uh, this defensive line is figuring it out. They had, uh, they didn't get any sacks, but they had five tackles for loss. The secondary is kind of rounding the shape, and just like always, Ohio State's going to come into the Michigan State and Michigan games at their best, as they always do this time of year. There's you know, at the start of the year, they always have weird loss. Remember that Oklahoma year? They had the Oklahoma loss. They always find a way to kind of have a weird loss through the years. But they, without a doubt, by the end of the year, are playing the best football in the country. And that has to be recognized and talked about. Um, last game, Texas A&M, Ole Miss. I mean, Texas A&M isn't good, guys. I, I, I don't get why they, they beat Alabama. Right, so like looking at schedules, and this is why I have problems with kind of being like, well, they have a really good win. It's like, yeah, but they have like really bad wins too. They beat Kent State forty-one to ten, but then they go to Colorado and win ten to seven, right? And they're at five at this point. They drop down two spots because of it. Beat New Mexico thirty-four to zero. Then they play Arkansas. Right, they lose to Arkansas. They lose to Mississippi State. Alabama comes in. They beat Alabama. They beat Missouri, South Carolina, and Auburn. Auburn isn't good, right? We went over this. Three of their six wins, and then they go and play Ole Miss. They lose. Then they get Prairie View, right? So they lose on the road, right, to Ole Miss. Now they get to play Prairie View. So another conference loss doesn't get added to anyone else in the conference. They get to go to eight and three. So Instead of you know being really after a loss, having to go on the road possibly again, they get to play Prairie View at this point in the season and get to eight and three before they finish the season with LSU and jump up in the standings. Right? It's it is manipulation. Anyone can say what they want. It's the schedule. It's the schedule. I think Ole Miss with Matt Corral is a very dangerous team, but Ole Miss just has weird losses and they you know they're able to run the ball a little bit better than you think they would. And I, I just really like the way that this team plays. I don't think anyone really outside of SEC country thought this Texas A&M team was good. I think they just had one really good night where they ran effectively against Bama. And, you know, some nights like that kind of happen. Ooh, Arkansas beats LSU 
right? 25 team in the country, LSU at home, 16-13 in overtime. Um, there aren't really any other crazy college football games. I do want to talk about NFL. Um, I, I, I like college football a lot better than the NFL because you have all these upsets. And I think a, a poor way to kind of frame this season so far is, well, there's two ways you can frame it. I tweeted probably a few months ago that, hey, I don't know who's good, but I know Bama's good. Um, and then Bama ends up losing like a week later, of course, after that tweet. But I think the the thing is, is everyone always talks about parody, 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 right? And what does parody mean? It means anyone can be anyone. And this is one of those years where there's a lot of good teams, where there's a lot of teams that can hurt you in many different ways. So you kind of think about, right, how does Ole Miss hurt you? They can run the ball pretty damn effectively, and they go over the top of defenses really well. So if you have a heavy man look, and you let up some big rushing plays, they can attack you with the guys on the outside and with Matt Corral leading that quarterback room. And then at the same time, you kind of think about, well, Mississippi State, man, they throw the ball, you know, 60 60 to 50 times a game. They can beat you. And if you aren't disciplined in your coverages and if you get, you know, caught looking and and, and staring everywhere, they're going to get you. And that's kind of what, you know, is good about college football is there's so many dangerous ways to beat teams right now in this in this in this league and without a doubt and I'm saying this is this is one of the best years of college football and everyone wants to talk about all top 25s and chaos and everyone always loses every week and it's like that's what we've been asking for is to not have these top four teams every single year kind of win every single game they play, right? Ohio State has a loss this year to an Oregon team that has a loss to Stanford because Stanford effectively ground and pounded them to the ground and took some deep shots and won on them. And, and you know, C.J. Verdell goes out and that kind of influences. Bama loses on a night game on the road at Texas A&M. And, you know, Bama almost loses to Florida and Florida's 4-4 four and four now. But because Bama struggled against stopping the run this year, you know, that's one of those things. And that's what I love about college football and something that I don't want kind of people to look at as a negative because it shouldn't be a negative. It should just be something that we kind of look, except that this year there's more parity in the league. There's less teams just, you know, Alabama, the number two team in the country, which we can talk about ratings Wednesday, they aren't you know, flopping their big old cojones on everyone's face. They have to compete week in and week out, and they get tested, and they lose close games, and they win close games, and and it's one of those things that I really like. Now, I would like some teams to be more consistent and lose to other good teams, but there's a lot of, I think, as as you see college football become more specialized, see more, more teams, you know, get really, really good at one thing. So this is kind of like a Michigan thing, right? Michigan is really, really, really good at running the football. And Michigan State is really, really good at stopping the run and letting the pass go over their heads. Michigan threw for 324 yards, but when it came down to it, Michigan couldn't do what they're really, really good at, how they score points. And so they settle for all these field goals because going into the end zone, they want to run the ball. I think Cade McNamara has like 10 TD passes this year, and their running backs both have 11 each. And that's not how most teams do it, but you know, specialization is becoming each team and brand is becoming so specific to something that when a team is becoming much more matchup based on how teams should be ranked and how we should look at them. You know, Michigan State didn't match up well against Purdue. Purdue is one of the best throwing teams in the country. They're they're very good at getting yards, getting yards after the catch, pushing the ball down the field. State is awful at that. 
And that's why I think OSU matches up really poorly, or OSU matches up really well against Michigan State because their offense can take the top off. It can do under routes, crossing routes. And so I think it's going to be a tough time for them. But the same notion, Ohio State has kind of built their defense on stopping the pass, but letting up big plays. They've been so, I mean, Ohio State's put up, put out a thousand defensive backs, a thousand cornerbacks the last five years, you know? And it's about stopping the deep ball for them because they let up the deep ball again and again and again. You saw Purdue score a bunch of yards on them. But their running game and their running defense has been a struggle early on in the year, but it's it's kind of found its footing. And so it's all about how these matchups kind of manifest that make college football so damn fun. Whew. So I just talked for about 52 minutes about college football. I'm going to take um, a momentary, momentary break before I break down all the NFL games. Uh, I'm going to talk about starting quarterbacks to kind of connect what I've been talking about today. You know, where are starting NFL quarterbacks? What conferences do they represent? Who's starting in the NFL right now uh, today and their backups, right? Because most times backups are very capable, started in the past. Look, you look at Chad Henney, Michigan guy, and you kind of just, you, you think, right? So we're going to be breaking that down here in the next little bit. I'm just going to grab some water. You'll, I'll, I'll probably do some ringtones maybe or throw something in the middle of this to kind of split it up. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're going for the long haul. I'm going to be talking for a long time today. Love you guys. What is up, guys? Sorry, I took a little break. Um, had to set something up. So what I wanted to do in this portion before I jump into NFL is I kind of want to do this trend where I break down quarterbacks, running backs, receivers. Um, when baseball season is around, we'll do that. But NBA, you know, positions uh, too deep on the depth chart for all NBA teams, and kind of see like, hey, what colleges send kids? What what areas do they kind of develop? Are they just sending players there? Are they, you know, are they sending the bare minimum or are they sending backups, you know, guys that are, you know, good enough to be around, but not really good enough to, to play? Um, that is kind of the questions that I kind of think is interesting, right? If, if you have a conversation with a bunch of people um, and you can just bring up weird facts, this is going to be like my mid intro point. Um, obviously, I'm an hour in podcast, probably going to run around two and a half hours or so today. Um, I'm really trying to give you guys some more content, something to listen to two or three hours. But this is kind of going to be a, a, a thing I do, whether I bring up something as elaborate as this, which is probably going to talk about for the next 15 minutes or so, or if I do something as as simple as looking up a, a weird fact or stat. And I think one of the things that frustrates me most about uh, the Twitterverse and social media right now is stats are just irrelevant. On the third Tuesday in the month of August, there have been 17 teams that competed, and this guy has done two of those competitions, and he is shooting 28% from the field on those days. It's like That's not a stat, dude. Those are just like numbers that you compile. Um, there's a good one that uh, I just saw. It was like Kevin Durant has 11.9 made field goals, um, you know, shots. Um and leads and leads the league leads the league in most made attempts and leads the league in most um, in scoring, but he's not in the top ten of uh, shots attempted. So it's like, hey, he's playing really efficient basketball. That's when stats matter, right? Or like the one we saw about Jared Goff hasn't thrown a touchdown pass in 
I think it was three out of his last four. Now it's going to be four out of his last five because Jared Goff sucks. But we're going to talk about um, starting quarterbacks, backups, kind of got to go through all the conferences, what really surprised me and stuff like that. So ACC, they have 11 quarterbacks. Um, I went too deep on the depth chart. Um, Three deep are guys that aren't playing, are veterans that they kind of talk to and stuff like that. And seven of them are starters. So Lamar Jackson, obviously, Deshaun Watson. Uh, I listed him as a starter because the way I kind of look at it is if there wasn't this thing hanging over his head, he's obviously NFL starting quarterback. Now, a year from now, when I look back at this list, if, you know, he gets prosecuted and he's out of the league or something like that. No, but Deshaun Watson is the starting quarterback for all intents and purposes of the Texans as soon as these charges drop. So I'm labeling him as the starter. Um, I kind of did that with some of the injuries here too. Trevor Lawrence is a starter. Teddy Bridgewater is a starter. Uh, Daniel Jones is a starter. Um, Matt Ryan is still a starter. And then Jameis Winston, like he was a starter, went down with season ending knee injury. I know Trevor Simeon's the starter. I didn't even list him because he's technically three deep on the depth chart. Um, And as soon as our boy um, gets gets back going into things over there, uh, he, he won't necessarily be the starter again. So um, that was kind of the reasoning for that. Yeah, as soon as, soon as Taysom Hill comes back, and uh, he, you know, he gets healthy again from that concussion he suffered. He'll be the starting quarterback. Um, Trevor Simeon hasn't been playing bad, but I think there's just he's been there longer. They paid him more. Um, he'll be the starting quarterback going forward. So um, that's why I didn't even list Trevor Simeon. But the ACC's tied for the most quarterbacks from one conference that are in the league, but they have the most currently starting slash are starters. Um, you could you could argue with Jameis Winston one. I, I don't have an ACC bias. And you could also argue Deshaun Watson one. It's just like those guys are starter. But like guys like Mitchell Trubisky, you could label Jacoby Brissett as the starter because with two of his injuries, but Jacoby is the backup there. Mike Glennon is the backup and John Wolford. Um, we then move to the Big Ten. Um, I just kind of listed this through, I hope, alphabetical. Um, they have eight quarterbacks. This is the lowest amount in the Power Five um, in the league. But they have four starters, which is right around average, I guess you could say. Justin Fields is a starter. Kirk Cousins, who went to MSU. Tom Brady, U of M guy. Russell Wilson went to Wisconsin after transferring away from the ACC, uh, NC State. Um, David Blau, uh, backup Purdue. Brian Hoyer, MSU. uh, CJ Beathard, Iowa. Chad Henney, U of M. And I know um, that some of you may be thinking of, like, there's been a lot of OSU quarterbacks drafted, but none of them panned out or stayed around as a one or two option. And so that kind of hurts the Big Ten Conference because if you think about some of the quarterbacks that were taken in the last few years, uh, you'd be like, hey, they should have been able to stick around and they just haven't. So I think that's one of the reasons why they don't have a lot. I also think that one of the reasons is schools like Michigan haven't produced a big uh, quarterback in a long time. Chad Henney is the last dude that came out of there. Then you have powerhouses like Iowa and Wisconsin who just aren't made for that. Um, Purdue has kind of fallen off the train. They used to have Drew Brees in there. Um, there's just a lot of things, and OSU is really the QB factory. They produce the best QBs, and maybe going forward, that starts to shape where these guys have long-term success in the NFL, which would bolster these Big Ten numbers. But like no one from the Big Ten is probably going to get drafted this year as a quarterback in the first four rounds, I would say. Um 
might get someone in a fifth or sixth round role, like the guy from Minnesota. I can't remember his name right now. Tanner Morgan. Um, he might be a guy that ends up getting drafted. Um, guys, um, uh, Cade McNamara might be a free agent signing somewhere um, just because J.J. McCarthy is going to replace him, but he may go into the transfer portal. Um, and I really can't think of any big-time quarterbacks that you know sit around the, the Big Ten. But it would be interesting when I do this list eventually. I'm going to do something like this NFL list probably – every other podcast and I'll do like an NBA one every hockey one I'll probably break down by nationality uh, by country but um, you know they just don't have a lot it'll be interesting to see what running backs look like kind of on this list how how that all pans out but we'll see Um, the big 12 so they have nine quarterbacks um, out here which is uh, second is tied for I guess second because there's a uh, tie for first, but there's four starters in this group. So I'll, although they have nine, as no, although they have more than the Big Ten, and only two less than the top, they only have four starters. And of those four starters, three of them are from Oklahoma: and Baker Mayfield, Jalen Hurts, and Kyler Murray. Obviously, Jalen Hurts has a connection with uh, SEC school, Alabama. Kyler Murray also has a connection with the SEC school in Texas A&M. I think Baker transferred in too. Um, but Patrick Mahomes is really the, the headliner of this. Everyone, um, you know, it's just weird how this conference kind of pans out. You think with all the offensive success this conference has, they'd be able to stick more quarterbacks into the league with all the high-flying power, with all the guys that have so many different avenues to be successful in that conference. You, th- you think that there'd be, you know, another, another maybe they'd have 12 or 15 quarterbacks even, you know, just because their quarterbacks put up really good numbers. But we got Baker Mayfield, Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Kyler Murray, starters, Mason Rudolph, backup, Sam Ellinger, um, Texas, he's a backup, Andy Dalton, um, TCU, he's a backup, Geno Smith, West Virginia tech, uh, backup, Colt McCoy, and then Taysom Hill is the backup from Kansas State. Um, they, they do, or wait, they might have 10 now, 1, 2, Three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Yeah, I forgot Taysom Hill. So they have ten, but only four starters. And of those, you know, Baker, Hertz, and Kyler Murray have all came out one after the other. And I think Patrick Mahomes was in Baker's draft class too. So quarterbacks are starting to find their way into starting positions in the league. Baker's obviously number one starter. Kyler Murray, uh, probably MVP candidate this year if you want to gotten hurt. Patrick Mahomes did win an MVP candidate. Jalen Hurts is leading that Eagles offense. Now we have the SEC. We have Tua. They have uh, the SEC is tied with the ACC for most quarterbacks, um, but they don't have as many starters. Um, so you have Tua, Tunga Vailoa, Mac Jones, Joe Burrow, Ryan Tannehill, Dak Prescott, and Matt Stafford. Of these guys, Matt Stafford is really the only true veteran of this group. Ryan Tannehill's up there in age two, and Dak Prescott is starting to reach that cliff. But Tua, Mac, and Joe have came out out of the last three draft classes. Joe Burrow, or last two, Tua and Joe came out of the same one. <clears throat> Bama having back-to-back quarterbacks coming out, while probably also having one in another uh, not this coming year, but the year after with their with their current starting quarterback kind of shows a trend there. Um, Ryan Tannehill being an AM, A&M guy. Um, Dak Prescott, Mississippi State, and Matt Stafford from Georgia, obviously. 
But you do have some uh, uh, fine list of backups. So there's six starters, but Brandon Allen from Arkansas, Drew Locke from Missouri, Chase Daniels from Missouri, Blaine Gabbert from Missouri, Cam Newton from Auburn. Um, I think you see a trend there that Missouri props up and has great offensive success. Uh, I think you'll kind of see that trend um, everywhere that you look in the last you know decade of football. But they haven't had guys that have had maintained success as starters. Now, Chase Daniels literally grabs money, plays zero football games. He's averaging like $10 million or maybe $8 million a year as a backup quarterback. Um, Blaine Gabbert was a once-time starter. Drew Locke obviously fought with Teddy Bridgewater. But Missouri produces quarterbacks into the NFL, but it seems like they don't really stick to starting positions. Um, maybe a trend there. Um, Pac-12, I was kind of surprised with how many quarterbacks the Pac-12 have. But there's nine of them and only four starters. So um, going over this, Ty- or Taylor Huntley or Tyler Huntley, Utah, Davis Mills, Stanford, Marcus Mariota, Oregon, former starter Marcus Mariota, Justin Herbert, current starter Oregon, Gardner Minshew used to be a starter, obviously before Trevor Lawrence in the trade at Washington State. Now Jared Goff. I mean, he's not going to be a starter after this year. He's probably going to get cut in backup role somewhere. But currently, he is a starter. Aaron Rodgers, obviously starter. Josh Rosen, I was surprised. He's on that Atlanta Falcons roster. I, I had heard that he's still in the league, but I can't believe that he is. Um, and then Sam Darnold. I listened Justin Herbert, Jared Goff, Aaron Rodgers, and, and Sam Darnold all as the starters out of this group. Sam Darnold is going to be, be the starter. They traded for him. He fractured his shoulder, though. And so... That led to these interceptions and these errant throws, and I think he tried to play through it, tried to kind of hide it. Um, so that's one of those instances where I'm like, hey, it's like Sam Darnold is the starter, Cam Newton is, uh, you know, the preferred backup. But I also listed PJ Walker in this group because I feel like he he deserves um, to be talked about because you know PJ Walker and Cam Newton. Cam Newton is more like a Taysom Hill guy. Um, when Jameis is in there, where he's kind of a plug-and-play, and it, but but it's even more exaggerated where Cam Newton's probably going to be the guy going forward, but he just got to the team. Um, Cal producing some quarterbacks, um, only four starters out of this group, and you got to think like USC produced so many goddamn quarterbacks for a really really long time. Um, Matt Barkley's third on a depth chart. There's a few other guys, um, but it, it is really honestly surprising the lack of. Uh, talent that the Pac-12, you know, seemingly has from a quarterback standpoint, putting guys in the league, I'd say more often the Big Ten has, and their guys haven't stuck around maybe as much as you'd think. Um, now, non-Power 5, this one was pretty surprising. Non-Power 5s has had as many as the Power 5's highest conference. So there's 11 quarterbacks in the league from non-Power 5 teams. Um, the starters include, there's only four of them though, which is kind of what I'm going to talk about here. Josh Allen, I listed Zach Wilson as a starter. Now you may disagree with that, but for all intents and purposes, he was drafted in the first round this year. Uh, he got injured or he probably would have kept the starter spot. Mike White came in there and threw a bunch of picks. And so I'm not going to necessarily say he's the starter um, just because he played one and a half good quarters. Um, so Zach Wilson, Ben Roethlisberger, obviously the old veteran of this group. He was out of the Mac, Miami of Ohio. Fun fact. Um, he also raped two women. Um, Derek Carr, Mountain West, Fresno State guy. Um, his Obviously his brother, um, David Carr, 
obviously from Mount Fresno State, kind of tainted. Derek Carzer, he probably would have been a higher draft pick, but there's a lot of guys here. Mike White out of Conference USA, Western Kentucky. Case Keenum, AAC, Houston. Logan Woodside, Mac Toledo. Um, I think Logan Woodside is the guy backing up. Let me see if I can pull it up because I was like, who the fuck is this guy? Um, uh, where's Woodside? Where's Woodside? Where's Woodside? Logan Woodside. It's Ryan Tannehill's backup. Toledo guy. Didn't even didn't even know that um was kind of happening. Um, Derek Carr, like I said, Cooper Rush out of the MAC, CMU guy. PJ Walker, AAC Temple. Kyle Allen, AAC Houston. Jordan Love, Mountain West, Utah State. Jordan Love is eventually probably going to be a starter in this league, but a lot of these guys are career um, backups. Didn't necessarily have the physical gifts coming out of college, which is one of the things that is key on being a high draft pick and having starter responsibilities through, through your first few years in the league. But they put up big numbers, which means they're probably accurate. They're probably really smart and know how to read a defense. So you want them in your quarterback room. That's kind of non-power power five a, as a whole. And next we get to the FCS. So Carson, Carson Wentz. There's four FCS guys that are currently in the one or two of the league. Carson Wentz, Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, and Taylor Heineke um, out of Old Dominion. And three out of the four of these guys are starting. And I kind of think that this is the difference um, when you look at um, what the non-Power 5 teams are like in the FCS is like. And so I listed this like this because... When you go to a non-Power 5, it usually means you don't have all of the tools. So uh, a good example of this is like you don't have the size necessarily, you don't have the arm talent, and you work through those things. Like Case Keenum, one of the more accurate quarterbacks, but isn't a high-level athlete, can't really throw at, at, you know, as many of the passes you want. Ben Roethlisberger, you know, oddball, huge arm, Gumby-looking dude, probably didn't impress scouts. But then you go to the FCS and you're like, well, these guys are – there's only four of them, right, in all of the FCS that are in starting or in backup roles. And what, what, why are they there? And usually what this means, and I'm going to kind of throw Josh Allen in this pool, is they went to a smaller school where they had huge, tremendous athletic upside. So Josh Allen was a zero-star recruit, went to uh, JUCO, then came out of JUCO, went to Wyoming, and that's the only reason why he's in Power 5. But Carson Wentz, huge arm, freak athlete, extremely gifted as a passer. Jimmy Garoppolo, same thing, extremely athletic, can throw the ball. I mean, when he does, when he isn't injured, he's extremely good. Trey Lance, you know, hasn't had as many games as a lot of these guys, which is the only reason he's probably the backup at this point. But freak athlete, um, arm is a missile. Taylor Heineke, right, is only one of the guys that kind of fits the power five build, and he's probably the backup if Washington could find a guy where he's doesn't he's he is a good athlete I will give him that but he's more of a touch passer more of a guy that can feather things in there and that's kind of like what you see kind of happen is non-power five guys they don't have all of the tools that you would typically think about of a d of a top tier starter in the NFL but they have a lot of guys that are smart that know how to read offenses that put up yards that are workers you know that work in the power five and then the FCS guys is kind of like hey these were guys that you know smaller schools took a risk on them they maybe didn't have a lot of offers but they have big arms they they are crazy athletes and they got to learn the game and they come into the NFL a little bit more raw a little bit more I'd say 
underprepared to be anything other than themselves, but that's what gets them starting roles is that they have the athletic upside, the upside that most NFL franchises want. They get a few years in the league. For example, Trey Lance isn't a starter currently, but you know, one or two more years in the league, you know, Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't a starter in the league right away. Uh, Carson Wentz, I think was, or maybe it was one year, but he, you know, he still waited in a time and it took him a long time to kind of figure it out. And, you know, that is kind of the way that you can look at it. And Taylor Heineke is only guy in this list doesn't fit freak athlete with a huge arm, but he still has like a really good arm and he's a plus athlete, but he'd probably be a backup on most other teams. But uh, he's been an absolute grinder. So that's kind of this list. I hope you guys like it. Give me feedback um, on what you guys think about that section where I kind of do this, where it's fat, it's fat you know, facts, 20 minutes or so. And I kind of just, you know, loosen up the podcast before I get back into talking about, you know, football games and and everything of the sorts. So NFL wise, um, we're going to just cover this week. And then I'm going to like kind of talk about teams. I'm surprised about teams that met my expectations and the such. So Dolphins end up beating the Ravens. The Ravens have been one of the more up and down teams. Um, They're extremely one dimensional on how they kind of approach the game. Um, and their defense really hasn't been there. The Dolphins have been good. Their defense has been good, but they're three and seven. Like they're one of those teams where I think they're one of the better three and seven teams, but they just don't have it figured out at the quarterback situation right now. And that hurts a team like that. Um, and not to mention their number one wide receiver went out. Um, Ravens, I think are first in the AFC uh, North still. Um, but, but, yeah, their first, um, that division is really shaken out kind of weird. Cleveland falling off, Cincinnati losing two in a row, Pittsburgh um, tying against the Lions, but winning two in a row before that, and then Baltimore um, throwing that game away. And no one really made a move in the division, which, you know, kind of sucks for the rest of them. Um, Lions Steelers, I mean, the Lions are abject poverty franchise. They're the worst franchise in the NFL. Um, they don't know how to do anything. Jared Goff is not a quarterback. He's a check down machine. Um, and I guess we all didn't know. And people can talk about wide receivers. And, you know, when Quintez Cephas left, he lost one of his best wide receivers. Like, dude, TJ Hawkinson is the best player on that offense outside of the running back room. And probably, well, I'll just say on the offense outside of linemen. And he had one target yesterday. Like, you're like, it's not everyone else's fault. Like, TJ Hawkinson is routinely open and the ball's late or it's high or, you know, he just checks it down to someone else. And when there are big throws, he doesn't throw it. So like he, he's a high interception guy, high turnover guy with fumbles, and he never pushes the ball down the field. He's the abject horribleness. I want every single person who shit on Matt Stafford um, going into the season to like literally apologize because at the end of the day, you literally, we ran this dude out of town. Like, he, he he said he wanted to leave, but you guys were yelling at him for years that he was the reason why they lost. Like, guys, they're a terrible franchise. Their defense is terrible. You lose Jeff Okuda. And the Steelers, like, I don't know how you lose that game. You guys tried tried to lose so bad. You're like, ah, oh, we need to give one to the Lions. We don't have our starting quarterback. And the Lions still didn't have it. Um, Cowboys offense is dominant. Um, last week, I think, was just a hiccup. I don't think it's... What's going to go forward? I think Dak was a little out of it with his ankle, wasn't moving around quite as well. Um, but the Cowboys are extremely good. They have a high power offense when their defense can figure it out and 
they're letting up lots of yards, but they're getting extremely high turnovers, um, mostly led by Trayvon Diggs, who already has eight this year, but they're picking off people, but they kind of let up big plays a lot. I think for the most part, and, and this is all in all serious, that the Cowboys have a chance at winning the championship. They play in one of the easiest divisions in the NFL, in the NFC uh, East. They're literally going up against, you know, the worst quarterbacks week in and week out. No one else in that division is, you know, near 500. The The closest is a 4-6 and six Philly team who's 0-4 at home right now. So, uh, you know, I don't, I don't think they're very good. I think they beat up on some weaker teams. The Colts, guys, I think the Colts started out with a raw slate. They didn't play well. Carson Wentz didn't really have a good idea, but they found it, dude. Jonathan Taylor is one of the best running backs in the NFL. I like watching him run week in and week out. Um, I, I think a lot of the pre-NFL draft, pre-stuff was all a bunch of hoopla that people wanted to kind of rip him down for no reason, um, make make accusations that he couldn't do things, and it just, it just wasn't there. Um, something to think about here, um, Jacksonville, uh, Trevor Lawrence hasn't figured it out yet, and I don't know how much of it is the, the passing scheme. I haven't been able to watch a lot of his games. The one game I watched was him against uh, Cincinnati, and he looked really good. And I don't, I don't know how they like can't find it out. They have Marvin Jones, James Robinson, LaVisca Chanel, uh, DJ Chark when he's healthy. I mean, Jamal Agnew can get on the edge. They have really good athletes and talents, but this offense cannot, just simply cannot figure it out. Uh, <clears throat> Trevor Lawrence is getting hit a lot and stuff like that. So, you know, it's 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 pretty crazy. But Jonathan Taylor had 116 yards, a touchdown. Um, you can kind of count him in for a touchdown every single time. Great news, Quiddy Pay got his first career sack. Ooh, talking about sacks, I will like to say um, I kind of brushed over this in the Michigan game because I, I was really just focusing on the team. Um, Aiden Hutchinson and David Ojabo are the best one-two DN combo probably in the country right now. And Aiden Hutchinson is going to be a first-round draft pick. I think Ojabo would probably be a second or third just off his raw talent, maybe a late first, depending if a team wants to reach on him. I really hope he doesn't go in the draft because he's having a tremendous season. And I think his run defense, I need—I think he needs to gain a little bit more muscle so he can be a little bit more stout against the run. But uh, that D-line wrecked havoc against that Penn State front who's not very good. Um, and that was really the determining of factors. They won the trenches extremely well. Um, um, for the entirety of the game. And Sean Clifford was literally scared for his life the entirety of that second half. So I think that's what kind of like took it forward. Um, Titans win again, guys. I thought the Titans were done for when they lost Derrick Henry. And they're now going into the easiest part of their schedule based on winning percentages. And they continue to win. That defense is aggressive, fast, getting sacks, uh, picking people off, turning, fum- getting fumbles. And, you know, Ryan Tannehill, you know, I've talked a lot of shit about Ryan Tannehill, and I still don't think he's good. I mean, he was 19 of 27 for 213 yards and a touchdown, and their offense scored <laughs> 23 points. Like, they had 30 yards rushing, and, you know, they weren't a good offense, but they always seem to put up points when he's on the field. And I think it's kind of like a Cade McNamara where you're like, you wish you had someone else, but this guy always gets it done and they score points and win. And so I'm not, I'm still not out there that he's a top five, top 10 quarterback, like people are trying to argue, but I have to 
pull back some of my hatred and you know shut up a little bit because right now without Derrick Henry they won their last two games one against the Rams on the road I believe it was and this time they played the Saints and won that one so I'm gonna shut up um, unless anything changes Ryan Tannehill is a leader he gets them in the right formations and he he helps them make plays um, the Browns got shit on by the Patriots Patriots been looking really good especially defensively over the last few weeks um I think the Patriots, their their best aspect is Mac Jones is starting to find his footing, man. And I, I talked about this that, you know, it's, he doesn't look like a quarterback. I don't know why people kind of passed up on him. I think he's really good. I don't know if he'll beat out Cam Newton. He ends up beating out Cam Newton. But this team can run the ball. They ran for 184 yards. He had 198 yards passing, three touchdowns. I mean, I, I think they're limiting the playbook. They're, they're giving Mac Jones enough to eat to stay consistent. They're telling him to check down. They're basically Tom Brady-ing him, and he, he looks fantastic. Um, to, talking about Tom Brady, he had, a, he had a rough day against this Washington team. Um, Washington football team ends up winning 29-19. Tom Brady ends up throwing two picks. They couldn't run the ball. They couldn't get really anything going. Um, injuries kind of starting to pile up on that receiving core uh, in and out. Taylor Heineke had 256 yards, a touchdown. Antonio Gibson, 64 yards and two touchdowns, played him in fantasy. Got absolutely boned by that. But I do want to talk about this defensive front. They lost Chase Young. And they still they had zero sacks, zero tackles for loss. But they dropped back in coverage, confused Tom Brady, kind of did what the Saints did. Uh, didn't let Tom Brady get into a rhythm. And I think that's a huge thing is that if you can't beat the pass rush and – you have to be able to give him a million different looks, and Washington succeeded in that. I think the biggest thing I saw is there was a 18-play, 80-yard or 90-yard drive that took 10:34 off the clock in the fourth quarter. Like, um, let me let me see. I can I'll be I'll be able to look. So yeah, 19 plays, 80 yards. So, uh, Tampa Bay's down 19, uh, down 13 to 23. Um. Washington fumbles, Buccaneers go three plays, 47 yards, 23-19, try to go for two, don't get it. Then in 10 minutes and 26 seconds, they wound the clock down and scored a touchdown, man. And, and like that is just a killer, like killed the game, ended the game. That's a, that's a championship type drive. Um, Cardinals end up beating or end up losing to the Panthers. Panthers looked really good with Christian McCaffrey back there. Cam Newton back. He Cam Newton threw three passes for four or threw three passes for eight yards a touchdown. Uh, Christian McCaffrey had 13 touches for 95 yards, uh, but didn't score a touchdown. Chuba Hubbard had nine carries for 27 yards and a touchdown. Christian McCaffrey had 10 receptions for 66 yards, and you kind of just saw the rhythm was quick. Up tempo, get the ball out of the the hand of this really bad Carolina front. Make sure that we could get it. And Colt McCoy, you know, with he he played he played horrendously. Um, eleven of twenty threw a pick. Probably should have had two more picks. They couldn't run the ball on this front. Um, and it was just a really really good effort by Carolina. Um, Zach Ertz only had four receptions. Uh, Rondell Moore had two, A.J. Green had one, Zach, you know, they just limited it, um, fumbles galore, and, you know, it was just a blowout win. Vikings end up beating the Chargers. Uh, the Chargers have really fallen off, and I think part of it is due to Justin Herbert. 
Um, defenses are confusing him. He isn't able to get Mike White in the red zone quite as often. Um, they just haven't had it. I think I was surprised that Odell Beckham didn't go to a Chargers-type team because Keenan Allen is a one, but he isn't a one that like no one has the ability to overtake. And Mike Williams is, is a fine two, but he's more of a red zone guy. Um, but this Minnesota team, you know, Kirk Cousins, he, he gets the job done. 294 yards, touchdown. Whenever Dalvin Cook's in there, I, I what I see a lot is Dalvin Cook and um, this Kirk Cousins. Whenever Dalvin's in, I don't know if it's just because they can establish the run or just the threat of the run, but Kirk Cousins always plays really well. Justin Jefferson continues to have a really good uh, year yards-wise. He doesn't quite get a touchdown here. Um, Tyler Conklin, I think he went to, let me see what college he went to. I want to say he's a, yeah, he's a Central Michigan guy. Um, he, he had two receiving TDs on the day, so shout out to him. As Minnesota picks up a huge win, kind of limit that Chargers offense. Next up, we have the Eagles-Broncos. Broncos have just fallen off a cliff, guys. I don't think they're very good. Jalen Hurts was 178 for two touchdowns. I don't think he's necessarily the solution in Philadelphia. I think that they can win games with him at the helm, but it's only when they do things like this. Like, they had 40 carries as a team, 214 yards. Like, that's how you win games. Devonta Smith had a 36-yard beautiful touchdown pass where he mossed his former teammate. He had two touchdowns on the day. That's kind of the things that people were expecting when Devonta Smith came into the league is him to kind of control his path. Um, but the Broncos offense, I don't think Teddy Bridgewater is it. I think you got to go with Drew Locke. Give this team some hope. You know, they ran for 96 yards, 5.3 yards. But when it came down to it, they just couldn't move the ball when they needed to. Um, and this team just doesn't look, you know, just doesn't look great. Um, you know, they got rid of the guys. They they gave up. Um Ah, uh, what's his name? He's on the Rams now. Oh my God. I want to say Kyle Vinoy, but I know it's not him. But you guys know who I'm talking about. Went to the Rams. They gave up him. I, I think they've kind of given up on the season. It looks like they may be entering another rebuild stage, trying to find a QB, trying to, you know, upgrade that defense um, that's been struggling. Russell Wilson struggled tonight, guys, uh, in a loss 17 0. Uh, Green Bay beats Seattle. Honestly, I think we should have seen Geno. I think. Wilson got rushed back, and he wasn't good. Um, and, you know, Aaron Rodgers wasn't great either. 292, an interception. He couldn't practice all week. One of the interesting things we just see here is A.J. Dillon, guys. 21 carries, 66 yards, two touchdowns, two receptions for 62 yards. He is getting the bulk of the load, even though they signed Aaron Jones to a new deal. Um, Green Bay ends up winning with a you know, impressive defensive effort. They sacked... Uh, Russell Wilson three times had five tackles for a loss had seven passes deflected two picks um, one of them was in the end zone I mean outstanding effort um, next up we have Kansas City 41 to 14 Kansas City has been struggling I think we've all known that um, but I wouldn't choose anyone to play like Vegas has so much going on outside of the scenes I think that was one of the big talking points going into the years how much with all this stuff going on, and, and things don't get easier. They got the Bengals this week, then the Cowboys, they had the Chiefs again, they had the Browns, they had the Colts and the Chargers. So we'll see how the Raiders season kind of ends out. But Patrick Mahomes was back to himself, 406 yards, five touchdown passes. Uh, Damian Williams had nine receptions out of the backfield, 101 yards, a touchdown. Travis Kelsey had eight receptions, 119 yards, and Tyreek Hill had seven receptions for two yards. They really shortened and limited what 
Patrick Mahomes could do. They didn't let him get into the play. Patrick Mahomes is at his best running around scrambling, finding dudes late over the middle, finding dudes, you know, when he shouldn't even be throwing it, he completes the pass and everyone goes crazy. And it's gotten in the, their way this year is that it's sometimes it's okay to throw on a second and second and four. You can throw the ball away and get it on third down. And I think they tried to really limit how much he was throwing out onto the edges, how much he was extending plays um, and, and the such. A few things I want to talk about is um, I'm not going to look at um, yesterday's games for the NBA. Um, I'm going to talk about the NHL on Wednesday um, just because I know this podcast is it's at 1.30. Um, I really do want to talk about the NBA, but you know, recollecting one set of games, and I'm not quite going to do it on 12, but I am going to talk about some trends I've seen, some, some important um, things that I've kind of looked at so far. So in the East, the two teams at the top of the conference are the Washington Wizards and Brooklyn. So everyone's like, Washington Wizards, I didn't know they were playing good basketball. Yeah, most people don't. So Bradley Beal being the leading scorer, being the number one man, and just a nice group around him. You look at this Washington team, and it's pretty balanced on how they approach things. You know, 23 points for Beal. Montrez Harrell has 18. Spencer Dinwiddie has 16. Kyle Kuzma has 15. Contavious Caldwell-Pope has 9. And they're defending. Uh, you look kind of what they struggled at so so profusely um, the last few years. And it's like they had the top 15 offense, but they were just letting up bucket loads of points. Like anyone could score at them whenever, at will. And that wasn't a, a way to go forward. And they went out and they got some defenders. They got some 3 and D guys. They got guys like Kuzma who can defend on the wing. And they're having themselves a good start to the season. And um, I think that it's sustainable this time. And Bradley Beal talked about wanting to join things. And when they traded away Russell Westbrook and got all these capital, Montrezl Harrell, all these helper guys, he's like, hey, Bradley Beal, we're going to put you at the top here. But we're going to surround you with defenders and shooters. And we're not going to ask you to go for 35 a night. We're going to ask everyone to chip in a little bit. Kind of more along the lines of what the Bucks formula kind of did. Play good defense. Have a bunch of guys that can be threats. So you don't have to have Bradley Beal go for 30, even though he will some nights. Obviously, you got to talk about the Brooklyn Nets. No Kyrie Irving doesn't seem to matter for them. Obviously, Kyrie is a next-level playmaker. But I always thought that the fit with Kyrie and... Um, Kevin and James never really was going to work with all three of them on the floor with how ball dominant they are. But right now, Kevin Durant is playing beyond MVP level basketball. He's averaging 29, 8, and 5. On He has a 30.7 PER, and he has the most ridiculous shooting splits you could ever see. Now, James Harden, this is always what you see. Someone take a step back. He's playing 0.2 minutes less than Kevin Durant. But he's facilitating. He has 9.3 assists. He's always been a really good passer. 19 points a game. He's getting back to the free throw line. LaMarcus Aldridge is averaging 12. And then they have a few guys in the 10 to 12 range. Blake Griffin averaging 22 points. Only has 6. But he's one of those guys that's going to rebound. He isn't playing necessarily really good so far. But see his uh, numbers tend, like trend upward as the season goes on. Um, 
Another two teams that kind of surprise us, Chicago and Cleveland. So Chicago, um, they went out of their way to rebuild and find some avenues to be better. Um, and, and they're kind of showing it. Chicago is, uh, you know, like I said, their teams have become like, hey, I'm not going to pay these players who aren't great, these, you know, huge contracts. I'm going to try to get two or three really, really good players that complement each other, looking at the analytics and how they play together. DeMar DeRozan has 26 a game. Zach Levine has 25 a game. Nikola, Nikola Vucevic is averaging 10 boards a game. And Lonzo Ball, and there's five dudes who's or averaging over three assists per game. Like, they're sharing the ball well. They're defending. This team can do a lot of dangerous things. And they still have some young guys like A.L. Dusunwomo is averaging five points guard out of Illinois. I think this is one of the guys that is going to be a huge help for them scoring-wise down the stretch when Lonzo goes through his stretches and lulls and stuff like that. But I think that team has a chance to make a playoff run. I think the East is extremely good this year. They're extremely deep in terms of teams that don't have a bona fide superstar. There isn't a LeBron James outside of anyone on Brooklyn. You know, Bradley Beal needs some respect put on his name, but there isn't anyone like that outside of the Bucks. Bucks are struggling right now, which is going to be a side point. But they found really good depth and guys who can all create and, and, and a little bit more egalitarian approach. And now we have the Cavs, guys. Cavs have been one of the worst teams in the NBA the last few years, and they completely modified kind of how the roster looks. And they did it by averaging or by adding three mountains of men. So Evan Mobley, Jared Allen, and Lowry Markinen are all seven footers, and they're all averaging 30 minutes a game. Now, Jarrett Allen is going to be your guy who is grabbing boards whenever he can, um, getting blocks, defending the lane well. And then you have Evan Mobley, who's kind of in the same breath, and he's a little bit better of a shooter at this point, a little bit better of a defender, but they're averaging, like, this is the lineup. There's six guys averaging over 12 points per game. Lowry Markinen, who's a bit more of a shooter, a bit more of a stretch power forward type guys averaging that. Then you have the dynamic guard duo of Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. And Darius Garland, he, he was known as a scorer. Everyone talked about him being a scorer, him throwing up shots. He's averaging 7.1 assists per game uh, while also throwing in 16 points. Colin Sexton is averaging 16 points. Kevin Love is at least back to doing something on the floor, averaging almost 10 a game. And they have a bunch of guys down the way that are supposed to be, um, you know, more added depth. Now, do I think that this team maintains this pace? No, I don't. I don't think they have elite enough guard play down the stretch to win, especially in the playoffs. I don't think they have elite enough scores. I think Colin Sexton is more of a volume guy. Darius Garland would have to step up huge, and he has so far. I don't know how much that trends as some of these other teams try to find their footing, but I, I kind of like the way that they look. I'm going to talk about um, New York having an okay start. Charlotte had a really good start to the season um, for a few different reasons, and they've lost a lot of their last few games. They're just letting up too many points. But Mile Bridges is the leading scorer on this team with Lonzo or LaMelo Ball being the second. Gordon Hayward, Terry Rozier, P.J. Washington, they got a nice little depth there. Um, but this team doesn't defend, and that's what has to be next for this team. Is to They, they have high-end steal percentages, but they don't defend the rim well. They let up a lot 
lot lot of points. So we'll see kind of how that kind of pans out. Yeah, they have the worst. Um, Uh, a worst opponent's point per game only behind the Hawks right now, which is, you know, on brand for them letting up 115 per game. Um, whoops. So next, Detroit. I mean, Detroit is Detroit, guys. Uh, I don't think they're going to be very good. They've won two out of their last uh, three, though, not against good teams. Uh, they got blown out by the Cavs. But what you like to see is Cade Cunningham kind of finding his shot a little bit more. Jeremy Grant uh, you know, this team needs shooters. Uh, I'm going to say this pretty clearly. Uh, Kelly Olenek going out with an injury sucks because he was the only guy that could really stretch the floor with them. It'll be interesting to kind of see how the rest of the season kind of flows and, and, and melds with a team that can't really shoot well. But Cade Cunningham is shooting the ball a little bit better. He's being a little bit more efficient after a very rough start to his season. Um, Killian Hayes, uh, he's a guy that really needs to find his shot, really needs to find the offensive production uh, to be a threat because he's a really good passer, but teams can kind of hone in on him passing. I think if Isaiah Livers um, gets back to being healthy, he might be a plug-and-play guy on the bench just because he can shoot. Now, is it going to transition perfectly? No, but he's an over 40% shooter. And it's like, dude, if you get just stick him in the corner, you're going to create space for guys like Jamie Grant, Kate Cunningham to kind of attack Um people off the balance. Milwaukee's been struggling. Giannis is out. They haven't been defending at all. And they made their market on defending teams, right? They were one of the more efficient offenses. And now they're letting up 109 per game, which is in the bottom half of the league. And they aren't scoring well at 107. Their half-court offense is pretty stale. It'll be interesting to see how they kind of ruminate and change that because I think they will. They have too many skilled guys uh, on that roster, but it'd be really interesting to see if they kind of have a hangover, a lag from that championship season. I don't think it's on Giannis. He, he's been playing lights out. It's just, you know, tough for, you know, when, you, when you're the seventh man off the bench and you're expected to kind of participate, what happens there? Um, we go to the West. Phoenix, Denver uh, up there at the top. Lakers are, are have been losing a little bit. Bronze out. You look at the bottom. Houston, New Orleans. San Antonio has been struggling a lot. Sacramento. Um, Sacramento is one of those weird ones. They they can score, man. 110 points per game, but they're letting up 111. And I mean, this this league, we can talk about offense, 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 but you have to be able to defend down the stretch. You know, maybe in the second quarter, guys aren't trying as hard and they let up points. And, you know, you let points in bunches and you're scoring back and forth the entire time. But being able to defend down the stretch, being able to get key stops is what basketball is. And when you're letting up that many points so consistently, it kind of shows that you, you know, you aren't defending well. Um, one team that I'd like to shout out are Golden State. They're averaging 115 points a game, and that's without Klay Thompson. Jordan Poole has really came on. He's been inconsistent, but he's been really on. And Seth or Steph Curry is having an MVP season. It's really going to probably come down to Kevin Durant or him if they continue at these paces. Steph Curry is playing lights-out basketball. He's shooting. He's making everything. After he came back from that ankle injury last year, down the stretch, how they made that playoff run is kind of how he's playing right now. Um, they're defending really well, too. 101 points allowed is second in the West, only behind Denver, and they're averaging 115, the highest point differential by far in the conference. You have teams like Phoenix, who you know are going to be good, man. They're going to go out there, compete day in and day out. And then you have a team like Dallas, and Dallas has been on the brink of being good the last, I want to say, few years. And 
you know, they have Luka, but who's going to step up and be that scorer? And Kristaps Porzingis has finally stepped up. He's averaging 17 and 7 a game, over two defensive rebounds. Dorian Finney-Smith, over two offensive rebounds. Dwight Powell, over two offensive rebounds. They have some real great rebounders on this team, which isn't talked enough about in the NBA, is how you control the boards. But, you know, it's one of those small things. It's one of those ugly things that people don't want to talk about, but it's up there. Um, Tim Hardaway hasn't even been playing his best basketball at this point. He hasn't been shooting quite efficiently. He's only averaging 14 uh, a game. But Jalen Brunson in that pick and roll with Chris Stops with Luka when he goes out. Uh, this team is extremely, extremely good at scoring. And you look at what their defensive numbers are uh, right now. Oops. Uh, you look at what their defensive numbers are at right now. And they're actually negative overall, but they have these huge nights where they get blown out. Um, and it'll be that'll be the, the 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 focal point is can they defend at an elite level? Because allowing 106 per game is is isn't bad compared to some of these other teams, but it isn't where they need to be if they're going to compete and look to kind of you know Mark Cuban always trying to put a championship team together if they're going to compete uh, and win that championship. Utah. Uh, I think they just had a sluggish start offensively. They're only allowing 103 per game at this point. They're only scoring 110. I think last year they're averaging 113. When averages bear out like that, it's kind of like, yeah, they've been struggling a little bit. It's still early on. I really like this team. LAC, Paul George is playing tremendous, tremendous basketball. Kind of where you expected to see all these teams. Memphis has been okay. Portland. I mean, it's just goddamn Portland, man. Uh, it kind of seems whenever they take three steps forward, they always take five steps back in terms of how they develop and how they play. So it'll be interesting to see how kind of all that plays out. OKC, these are all teams that are negative in the 500 win column, which is always going to be weird to see how all this kind of balances out through the year. Um, what I like and, and what I look forward to in seeing in the NBA um, in kind of seeing is where do these trends kind of go? I'm going to cover them because they play so many games. I'm going to do this with NHL too because they play so many games. I'm going to highlight great individual performances. I'm going to highlight key games and I'm going to talk about kind of the trends we're seeing through the year. But I don't follow these sports as much as I follow football and college football. So once these two sports are over, I'll be able to watch NBA. I'll be able to watch NHL. Um, and the good news is I'm on the West Coast. Well, I'm actually in uh, mountain time right now because of uh, Arizona doesn't practice daylight savings. So I get to see a lot of these late games, games that I maybe wouldn't have been able to watch. I'll be able to see them. So my goal is to at least go to a few Suns games this season. I live in the Phoenix area. If anyone lives in the Phoenix area, I'll give you a shout out. But like I said, we're going to be talking about um, a, a lot of different stuff on this podcast. We're going to be, we're looking at 141 mark. I kind of flew through the NFL. Um, I'm going to be able to talk to it more after the Monday night, after the standings come out. I will say that everything that I kind of expected to happen in the season was good. I talked about the Cardinals. I was like, if their defense gets clicking, this offense has everything they need to be extremely explosive. They found it out way earlier than I kind of anticipated. I said, hey, you know, Matthew Stafford and the Rams are going to be good. And I was like, hey, Seattle might be the worst team in this division or the 49ers. And that kind of bared out to be true. Um, I, you know, talking about the NFL, I was like, I think it's, if Aaron Rodgers is playing, I think it's theirs, you know, theirs to lose. I don't think any of these other teams can kind of compete. I think Chicago and Minnesota will kind of be in the middle of the road. I then talked about um, the NFC East and I was like, hey, it's, it's Dallas's to lose you know, but they just haven't been able to separate themselves. You know, this offense is rolling. If this defense figures it out, if they can, you know, manage to do something, this team should be really good in a really weak NFC East. And 
that bared out, you know, Saquon goes out, stuff like that. And I think a lot of my takes in the NFL have been at least competent. Um, I didn't know Jared Goff was going to be this bad. I, I've, I've talked about that a few times now. I, I just can't believe how how incompetent a quarterback can be that got paid that much money. And everyone was complaining about the Lions signing Stafford to that huge deal. And we're now paying Jared Goff to stink it up every damn Sunday. More money than we've ever paid Matthew Stafford. It sucks as a Lions fan. It sucks in that fandom. Um, what I will say is college football is going to be fun in the next few weeks. Last two weeks of the season always fun. Um, I'm not going to talk about rankings until Wednesday. Um, expect a podcast probably Saturday or Sunday for the Dune movie review. If you haven't gone and seen it, I really, really appreciate it if you have. That will be full, chucked full of spoilers. I will say that it isn't 100% onto the book. Um, I, I read like four or five scenes from the book after watching the movie for a second time. And there's a lot more hidden context and depth that you just can't possibly put into a movie, which I think they did a really, really good job overall on the movie. I'm excited for part two. Pissed off that the you know that the developers, Warner Brothers, pushed it off and said, no, we can't make both parts now and we'll be, be able to get a one-year release. Uh, and they didn't let them shoot both parts together. Now they got to reshoot it. Um, but what I will say, without a doubt, is I'm going to be here for you Monday, Wednesday, Friday. I'm going to wake up for a run, eat my breakfast, and then I'm, I'm going to be here podcasting. Um, today took a little bit longer um, to get this one out. I know for you guys, it's probably almost two um, back home. And the goal was uh, don't do that, but I had to set up my NFL QBs. I can, forgot to make the list, and I'm like going to create a chart. Um, Wednesday, I'm going to have uh, NBA point guards where they went to college, uh, too deep, um, where they're from, uh, you know, I'd also like to put together, um, looking at, you know, a Florida athletes thing, you know, I just want to make that part a little fun, a little bit more interesting, like, hey, if we had all the Florida athletes, or all the California athletes, like, who would win, and, like, could Michigan even put a team on the floor, and is, like, is it where you graduated high school from, or is where you were born and raised, Uh, it'll be interesting, because a lot of people leave Michigan, especially for basketball and stuff like that, so that's what it's going to be, is point guard, and then um, Friday, I'm going to be doing running backs for the NFL, Um, I have a lot to talk about, Uh, there's a lot of things I missed, I'm not trying to necessarily make up for that, except congratulations to the Atlanta Braves for winning the World Series. Absolutely awesome. I'm not trying to make up for any of that. Um, I'm trying to start at a good point, upload consistently, give you guys content that you need and want, give you guys honest and true takes. I'm not trying to become a take artist. I'm not trying to become a guy that's like, oh, look at all these quirky and fun takes. Oh, no, 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 no. I, 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 everything I say, I wholeheartedly believe. Um, I, I think that in a day and age where it's important to become viral. I think the best way you can become viral is if your takes are genuine takes that are outside of the norm instead of just dumb takes. And and, and again and again, I think people make dumb takes to get it noticed and then usually backtrack. Um, I, I want to say like there's a few, like Nate Burleson is kind of a guy who's become popular in the uh, TV world, the broadcasting, and he just gives good takes. And the takes may be out there for some people, but he always backs it up. Like, I'm not going to come on here and have a take where I, I'm, I'm yelling that, you know, 
Aaron Rodgers should be benched for Jordan Love because Aaron Rodgers has shown an apathy to the team environment, and you've seen that through his offseason workout conditioning. We saw that in the week one loss. He was completely unprepared. If you look at the way that he's handled himself since becoming into the season, he didn't get his COVID shot, and he got fined, and that's proof that he made this season about himself. So I'm happy that the Packers, you know, hopefully they let him go. Like, I'll never say that because that's stupid because I don't believe it for a second. But people want to drive narratives because they literally work for the NFL, right? Like ESPN, they pay the NFL for their stuff. So they have an incentive to report fondly on the owners, not the players, the owners. Because So, you know, all of that stuff. Um, on a side note, I do want to kind of talk about some sad things that happened. Um, Henry Ruggs um, killing that woman, drunk driving, guys. It, it's, it's so easy to avoid drunk driving. And especially if you're driving drunk, please don't be... How are you going 156? Um, he blew twice over the legal limit. He is going to be going away for a long, long time. I think rightfully so. And I think what we need to realize is that no way, shape, and form is it ever okay to drink and drive. And I know we've all probably done it. I, I've done it before. But like going 156, like you're just being reckless. Oh, one last thing. I do want to make a prediction on the game tonight. Sorry about that. Uh, uh, I, I just keep uh, kind of remembering things. I don't have a notepad or anything to write anything down at because we're just moving into this house. I don't want to bother everyone I'm living with. Rams, 49ers at 49ers. Rams are three and a half point favorites. I think Rams all the way here. Um, Rams are just so, so dominant in everything that they do. Um, I think last week was kind of like a shock punch in the face. I think their line didn't block very well for Stafford. Stafford had a really bad game. I think I think he just didn't play well, and I, everyone's allowed those games. I think they come back, get a road win in the division here, and you know they, with the win this week, they can take a step back to you know getting closer to um, Arizona. You know the Rams already have a divisional loss. Who they? Oh, yeah. They already have a divisional loss. They they'll play again, um, and they'll go in eight and two. They'll both be tied. Obviously, Arizona has the tiebreaker with head-to-head matchups. But I think this is a huge opportunity for the Rams to pick up a, a you know a big big win here. And so I predict that that's what's going to happen. Um, some of the other leagues. I mean, uh, just looking. Uh, New England at six and four is a surprise. Buffalo at six and three. Um, Kind of struggling a little bit, but still playing well. The FC North is kind of clusterfucked here. Uh, six and three, five and three, five and four, five and five. Uh, that eventually someone's going to have to get separation. Um, the leader in the the leader in the division and wins is zero and one in the division. Pittsburgh is one and one. Cincinnati's two and one, but has two non or has two conference losses. And you look at Tennessee, they're in two, running away with this division. But Indianapolis is. Back up to 5-5 five and five after starting 0-3, playing really good football, 2-2 two two in the division. And they have Jacksonville twice, so you can kind of bounce them up or one more time still. And I think they still have Houston twice. So it'll be interesting to see how that division plays out. AFC West, you know, Kansas City was in last place and everyone was freaking out. They're back in first place. You know, good teams always find a way. Uh, the Chargers are certainly struggling at this point in the season. They need to pick up some wins, that opportunity to stay in first place in the division. I think Las Vegas and Denver are dead for rest of the season, so it'll be interesting to kind of see how it plays out. National League, or National 
NFC, uh, Dallas is running away with this division. I don't think they're going to really get challenged at all. Um, Green Bay is running away with this division. NFC South is a little bit tighter. Carolina and New Orleans are extremely, extremely tight. Tampa Bay has struggled the last two weeks. We'll kind of see how, how this works out. Arizona, LA, the top two teams. I like I said, they're probably going to be the top two teams. Maybe San Francisco finds it out in the run game. You know, their running backs get injured, but it's going to be interesting to see kind of at the top ends of uh, the NFC West and the NFC South, kind of how everything plays out. But the NFC East and NFC North are basically chalked at this point. So I thank you guys so much for listening. Um, I'm happy to continue to upload and give you guys as much content as you guys want. I'm going to be sharing on uh, Twitter. I'm going to be trying to start a TikTok page. If any of you guys are in TikTok, um, trying to get some clips. I'm not going to do that today. Tuesday is going to be like my TikTok slash review day. Um, I'm going to be trying to you know get you guys as much content as you guys want. Don't forget to retweet, um, share. I may upload the audio on YouTube if you guys prefer that on YouTube. Uh, I may do a live watch one of these days. Um, I'm, I got a lot of ideas going on, but I got I just gotta you know get into the grind set. I gotta you know get back into the swing of things so that way I can give you guys good consistent uh, quality. That way you can trust me when I say I want to do all these things. But I'm gonna start a YouTube by the end of the week. I'm gonna start uploading some of my old audio, some of my favorite audios uh, on movie reviews, on book reviews, on, on on really hot takes that I had. I can still remember some of them. Um, straight up to YouTube. So be on the watch out. Um, I'm Like I said, I'm going to try and get a TikTok tomorrow. I'm probably going to have my girlfriend help me set that up tonight sometime. That way I can pull clips from this of, you know, some of my old clips where I'm yelling and screaming and I can hashtag and, you know, it's it's literally just me being out there and, and, and over the top with things. But I thank you guys as always. Um, I'm going to be uploading on Wednesday. So we'll see you Wednesday. You guys have a wonderful start to the week and we are done. The corners have been painted.